Romans, the first chapter. We're going to read a pretty good piece today, uh, verse 16 down through verse 25. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. So Romans, the first chapter, verses 16 through 25. And we know that this is the Apostle Paul as he is writing this letter. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we we give You thanks for Your Word. And and as we come to Your Word, Lord, help us. Uh, Apart from a moving and a stirring of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I, I stand here with nothing. But Lord, I pray that that for each individual today that you would place in their hearing exactly what they need to hear from you today. So Lord, I pray that you would guard my heart and mind, guard my tongue, help me to be faithful to you and to your word. Speak, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's been eight months since the last sermon from the book of Romans as we had begun two different times. This is the third start uh, uh, of the book of Romans. And and I know the Lord had a plan for each section that we went through. And this is where we're at today. And and Lord willing, we will continue from here today. And what I want to do is I want to take the last five sermons, portions of them, See, now Dusty put three sermons together last week, and it was an hour and a half. So I'm going to take five. So I figure two and a half hours, and that ought to that ought to about cover it. So, uh, but uh, uh, we're, we're going to take pieces of. We're not going to cover everything, and uh, you can go back and listen to those sermons. But 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 what I wanted to do is I want to pull out some of these things so that you can see how closely. Everything goes back to what he's been preaching. Of those sermons that, that the Lord placed on him. And, and 
And in the midst of this, knowing how the Word of God fits together from cover to cover, the same theme over and over and over and over. It's about Jesus Christ and His shed blood and His resurrection and the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, it's His story. So let's look uh, just uh, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Does this sound familiar? What were the two questions that, that Dusty asked in his sermons? Am I ashamed of Christ? Will I deny Christ? That was the questions he asked. And here Paul says, for I am not ashamed. And he gives the reasons why. Look at Mark 8, verse 38. Many of these verses will be verses that Dusty read and, and were verses from the sermon eight months ago. For whoever is ashamed of me, Mark eight thirty-eight. for whoever is ashamed of me, this is Jesus talking, who is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes, when the Lord comes in his glory, in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. So if we are ashamed of Him, what does it say? In the end, He will be ashamed of us. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, and I'm going to pause there just for a moment, bear with me, because I, I actually prefer the ESV, how it translates, instead of confesses, it, it says acknowledge. And the reason I like that, because it takes me back to Proverbs 3.6. Remember that? Proverbs 3.6, In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. So I like that translation as acknowledge. So therefore, whoever confesses, acknowledges me before men, him I will also confess, acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, to stand before the Lord and Him deny you is a terrible thing. You are literally on the eve of destruction. I don't know the timetable, but you are in God's timing moments away from the lake of fire at this point. So the questions, am I ashamed of Christ? Will I deny Christ? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, first chapter, verses 6 through 12, we'll read. 2 Timothy, first chapter, 6 through 12. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. The ESV says to fan the flame, to, to fan into flame the gift of God. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Now, now let me pause there for a moment. Do you think Timothy ever had cause to be ashamed of the Apostle Paul? That's his mentor. And I'm quite sure, I would think, that as people would know that, and as much criticism and persecution as Paul was getting, I'm sure they were coming after Timothy. You mean you you follow after the teaching of that that rambler? So so there was probably some persecution coming Timothy's way just for being associated with the Apostle Paul. Uh, but, but he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, Paul said, his prisoner. He was in prison in chains at, at the time he wrote this letter, and his death would not be too far in the future from this point. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. (laughs) Remember what he just had said in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. (laughs) Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, Again, how many times from this pulpit has this been talked about? Not of works. Dusty brought it out again last week. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. That faith is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's a great passage for the child of God, is it not? According to His purpose, His purpose and grace. Jesus Christ being revealed. And when Christ is revealed, He abolishes death. We were all on the eve of destruction. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. But Christ came and brought life. We were dead. But in Christ, our eyes were open to see Him. And was brought life and eternal life, immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Is there any better reason than just that verse right there to never be ashamed of Jesus Christ? Because it was Him that began this walk in us. Paul's passion for the gospel, continually, continually, with passion for the for the gospel. He, it's like he's saying, it doesn't matter what happens to me. My life means nothing. I remember him talking about as he was getting ready to go in another country and a new persecution awaited him there. But he wasn't concerned for his life. He was concerned 
for the honor and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. To, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And Paul reminds Timothy, stir up, fan the flame of the gift of God which is in you. Don't succumb to spiritual fear. Oh, Paul was ridiculed, wasn't he? He was scoffed at. He was scorned. Uh, in Acts 17, we're not going to read it today, but this is where he was brought into or before the Aragopagus, uh, the, the council. And, and remember what they called him? The babbler. What, what's this babbler got to say? <laughs> Little did they know who they were listening to. The Apostle Paul, and they called him a babbler, and he was constantly shamed for the sake of the gospel, but he was but he, he was constantly shamed for the sake of the gospel, but he was never ashamed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I know I talked about this months ago. See, there's a huge difference in being shamed for the gospel and being ashamed of the gospel. Was the Apostle Paul put to shame because of his preaching gospel? Yes, he was persecuted, mocked, scorned, beaten, thrown into prison for the sake of the gospel. He was shamed by others, but was not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ because this is the message he preached over and over and over again. And I believe that we are, if we are a faithful believer, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, we will also be put to shame for our stand. Will we not? I, I believe we will. I don't believe there would be any way around it because the world hates the gospel. They don't want to hear it. And so we may be ridiculed, we may be mocked and persecuted for sharing the gospel because the gospel is offensive to the natural man. The gospel is offensive to the unbeliever, to those who are yet in darkness. So, so let's read from 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verses 12 through 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. Now we, and he's talking of believers, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. See, apart from eyes being opened, ears open, apart from being brought from the dead, natural man cannot, cannot, cannot know these things. You know, we sing that song, I love that one lyric that says, Born of the Spirit, now I can see all of the treasure you've given to me. Strength for tomorrow, hope for today, a hand that will guide me step of the way. So I love that lyric. Born of the Spirit, now I can see. And, and that's true. Before the Spirit comes, it is foolishness. 
and, and can only be foolishness. So, so don't be discouraged. And always know this, it's never by your persuasive words that anyone ever comes to faith. You can't do that. You, all we can do is present the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And there it is again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. 1 Corinthians 1, let's go a little bit further, verses 22 through 24. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after, seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. How many times over and over and over, the power of God. Because it takes the power of God to regenerate, to save anyone. The power of God. The power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. See, Paul had come face to face with the power of God on the road to Damascus, didn't he? Struck down on the road to Damascus. Came into that power of God and he understood that there was no other power in heaven or on earth by which mankind can be saved. He redeemed only the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, false religions abound. False gospels abound. But none of them can offer sinners hope by grace. Most all are simply a salvation by works. By works. Not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, and all other gospels in the world that win over so many converts. How many millions, perhaps billions of people on this planet lost following after a false religion and they will utterly fail to protect any of their followers from the wrath of God. None of them will be saved from wrath apart from a turning to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only one message saves sinners. Only one message reconciles sinners back to God. Only one message can redeem a sinner and bring them safely into the presence of God, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. None other. None other. Christ alone is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. There's the question all over again, isn't it? It's for everyone who believes, and the question must go out. Do you believe? Do you believe? John 3, verses 14 through 19. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Talking of Jesus Christ being lifted up on the cross so that all who would look to Him might be healed from their condition of sin. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but, but, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed 
in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come, that Christ has come, the light of the gospel has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And we will be getting into much more of that in the weeks to come, talking about that very thing. In John 3, verse 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Either saved or you're not saved. You're a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, or you're an unbeliever. You're, you're condemned before the Father because of, of unbelief, or you stand before Him, no condemnation. Let's read Romans 10, 9-13. We read it so often. And I pray, I pray, my prayer, don't, don't you pray that, that through the words of the Lord, that perhaps He may perform a miracle of salvation in someone's heart. That's my prayer. I hope it's yours. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe Christ. Believe the Gospel. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. Romans 8, or Romans 5. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. What's the only way to be saved from the wrath of God that will one day come upon all unbelievers? <laughs> that the blood of Christ. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him, through Christ. So what are we saved from? The wrath of God. Saved from everlasting punishment and saved for eternal life. Everlasting punishment. Well, preacher, man, that's pretty severe. Well, here, what did Jesus say? Matthew 25, verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. It's very clear, isn't it? Of, of what awaits an unbeliever, those who are even now under the wrath of God. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto, into eternal life. Let's go back now to, to the first chapter of Romans, verse 16, one more time. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. 
And always, anytime I read that, I almost feel like I need to expound on that because I, I know there can be a lot of, if you just read that, what, Jew first, what? Why, St. Paul, you're giving the Jews a priority here. You're saying to them first. Well, well, let me tell you this. The Jews need the gospel of Jesus Christ just like everybody else, don't they? They need the Lord. And, and you see in the next two chapters of Romans, Paul sets out to prove that the Jews, even though they had the law, were in fact as lost and hopeless as the Gentiles. None righteous, no not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is ever justified by the law. He will talk about that. We'll be getting into that again in the weeks to come. And we're going to read some of it even today. The, the Jews need the gospel. The power of God unto salvation exactly like everyone else does. And, and even in when Paul says to the Jew first, know this, that, that he is not saying to the Jews above the Gentiles. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying, but rather to the Jew first. Salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Well, why would he say that? Well, why would Paul seemingly give the priority? But also remember this. Here, I want to read this. Because Paul also gives the Jews the priority in judgment as well. Uh, Romans 2, verses 8 and 9, because look at this. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. So the priority is, is also of condemnation. But, but, if they come to the truth, if they receive the truth, let's go two more verses, Romans 2, verses 10 and 11. But if they receive the truth, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. See, in certain areas, it, it, it seems that Paul, in some way, and, and do I understand all this? No, I need to ask Paul. Paul, tell me what you mean. Tell me what you mean. That they have this priority because he, he, the Lord came to them, to the Jews first, didn't He? They were His chosen people. So they were first. we got to say that, right? They were first. And so I'm okay with Paul saying what he's saying because they were first. Jesus is a, was a Jew. Our Messiah was, was a Jew. But in regards to righteousness, Jews and Gentiles all are on the same footing, on the same ground, the level ground together. Romans 3, verses 9 and 10. And again, these will be things that I'm sure over the next weeks and months we're going to be going over and over again. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Oh, don't get a big head. Oh. Fellow Jews here, don't, don't, don't think that you've, you've got this. Because... We have charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. 
And then, then Paul makes the same point. If we'll go a little bit further in Romans 3, verse 22 and 23. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, no difference, Jew or Greek, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, the Jews do not have priority in how they are saved. They are saved in the same way as the Gentile and everyone else who is saved on the face of this planet. All in the same way. And when I say that, I know someone will say, well, wait a minute, what about the people in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ hadn't come, Jesus Christ hadn't died on the cross? Well, let me ask you this. The, the, the Father Abraham, how was Abraham saved? By faith. He believed God. He believed God. He believed God. Well, let's, let's take it from Genesis 15, the very account. Uh, Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. Then he, God, brought him, Abraham, outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he and the Lord said to him, Abraham, so shall your descendants be. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Now were all the saints of the Old Testament saved? By faith. Granted righteousness, it was accounted to them, reckoned to them, credited to them as righteousness, as they believed God. And Paul will talk about that even in Romans Look at chapter 4, verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So even if I was back in Old Testament times, I could be saying that and asking that question that I ask almost every Sunday, do you believe? Do you believe God? See, the question would be the same. Do you believe God? I couldn't be talking about the cross of Jesus Christ yet. If depending on what Old Testament scriptures I had, I could be talking of, of. Of course, the prophets were talking of things they did not know. They were writing down things and didn't know yet what was to come. But they were writing things that was pointing toward a salvation in the cross of Jesus Christ. So neither Jew nor Gentile have priority in how they are saved. Both are saved by grace through faith in Christ. No ethnic priority here. No religious priority in some other way. But all through Christ and Him crucified. And now, Paul says and he preaches that believing Gentiles now are full partners in God's covenant blessings. So where am I going to go? Ephesians, the second chapter. And I'm just going to read a few portions of it. Uh, Let's go Ephesians, the second chapter. Let's read verse 11 through 13. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. This is the, the circumcision is the Jew. The uncircumcision is the Greek. Uh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time 
This is before faith. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we all once were lost and hopeless without hope. But then Christ came and we were brought near. All who are are saved, all who believed are brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's drop down to verse 18. Let's read 18 through 20. For through Him, through the Lord, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Who's the both? The Jew and the Gentile. For through Him, we both have access by one Spirit. There's only one Spirit. There's only one way. There's Christ. For through Him, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Let's go a little farther in Ephesians. Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 7. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. And there again, he talks about the power the power of God over and over and over. Paul talking about the power of God. So Jews do not have priority in participation in God's covenant blessings. Gentiles are full fellow heirs of all the promises of God. Aren't you thankful? So let, let, let's bring it back to Romans 1, 16. One more time, let's read. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And I was reading through my old notes, and I I had this quote that I had read from John Piper, and I want to read it again. Uh, And and John had asked the question, or had been asked perhaps, why did Paul mention the priority of the Jews? And so listen to John Piper, quote, being influenced by Romans 11, 17-32, I think the answer is that Paul wants to humble both Jew and Greek and make them deeply aware that they depend entirely on mercy, not on themselves or their tradition or ethnic connections. To the Gentiles, he says, in essence, salvation is of the Jews. You are not being saved by your Greek culture or any other culture. You are being saved by a salvation that comes through the despised Semitic people called the Jews. And then he he quotes what would be in Romans 11. You do not support the root. The root supports you. So do not boast over the branches. 
Ethnicity is not decisive for salvation. There is no merit. We are all sinners. We Gentiles are saved by becoming, as it were, spiritual Jews. And then I want to read uh, Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. As he makes a statement like that, and the eyebrows go up. Let's read. Romans 2, verse 28, 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, being born a Jew, ethnic Jew. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. The circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, the letter of the law, who whose praise is not from men, but from God. So you should understand what John was saying there. Uh, we Gentiles are saved by becoming, as it were, spiritual Jews. This should humble us and strip us, uh, back to Piper, this should humble us and strip us of any arrogance and boasting in any presumed ethnic superiority. It also should vanquish anti-Semitism and fill us with zeal for evangelism to Jews. Because they need the Lord. They need the Lord. In the same way, uh, I'm continuing here with Piper, in the same way, Paul says to the Jews, your salvation is not your own. It is God's and He gives it to whom He pleases. That's, That's Romans. He has mercy on whom He will have mercy. He can raise up from stones, even Gentile stones, children to Abraham. And that that would be from Matthew 3. The words also to the Greek in Romans 1.16 would have been as offensive to the Jews as the words to the Jew first were to the Gentiles. Did you get that? Think back. Think back 2,000 years and being in an audience. And, and how this would come across of what Paul was saying. Th- these words were offensive to the Jews and just as offensive to the Gentiles. Here, keep going. What they thought were Jewish rights and privileges are in fact shared by the lowest Gentiles who believe. Both of us are being humbled. We Gentiles must humble ourselves to be saved through a Jewish Messiah and a Jewish covenant. Jews must humble themselves to receive unclean Gentiles into full covenant membership and share all the blessings of the promise of Abraham. So he said, you see where both sides will be coming from here? The whole point is that God is the one who has mercy. Ethnicity is not decisive here. So the real emphasis falls back on that wonderful word, everyone that we started with. The gospel is the power of God to everyone who believes. You know what everyone means? Everyone. Everyone. So whether Jew or Gentile, believe and receive the power of God to save you from your sins and guilt and death and judgment and hell and bring you home to ever-increasing joy in His presence forever and ever. End quote. So the gospel message, the gospel call goes out to everyone. Acts 2 verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. 
used to sing an old hymn that had a lyric that said that very thing. Uh, Whosoever surely meaneth me, surely meaneth me, oh, surely meaneth me. Whosoever surely meaneth me, whosoever meaneth me. And, and someone might hear that and go, that's just repeating that same thing. Think of it. Think of it. Think of the depths of that. That Without that whosoever, where would we be? If God had partiality, where would we be? That That's glorious. Whosoever, whosoever, whoever calls. Uh, I'll read a couple more verses that goes along those lines. Uh, Revelation twenty two seventeen. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Whoever, whoever, whoever. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, the message of the cross goes out. It goes out, it goes out to all. And to some, it is foolishness and will remain foolishness their whole life. But to others, it becomes the power of God unto salvation. How important is it for the gospel call to go out? Very important. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Of God. Now that's First Corinthians one eighteen. Did I don't know if we read that yet? You can go ahead and put it up there. Aren't you thankful for the power of God? For the power of God. Let's keep going. Got a, got a little bit more. You still with me? Say Amen. You know, making you say Amen that gets your blood flowing a little bit. So so it's, that's that helps. Let's go back to Romans one verses sixteen and seventeen. Let's put those two together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, and the it is the gospel of Christ, for in it, for in the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now if you were here Friday night, we talked a little bit about this verse, because I, I knew what was coming today, or I thought I knew what was coming today. And to many, verse 17 in Romans 1 is the key verse. It's the key verse. And throughout the book of Romans, Paul defends the righteous character and behavior of God. And it will always seem to come back to this verse. The just shall live by faith. Uh, some of you perhaps have read some of John Stott's writings or commentaries. Let, let me read John Stott. Quote, the righteousness of God is God's righteousness, righteous initiative in putting sinners right with himself by bestowing on them a righteousness which is not their own, but his. The righteousness of God is God's just justification of the unjust. That's a good line. The righteousness of, the righteousness of God is God's just justification of the unjust his righteous way of pronouncing the unrighteous righteous in which he both demonstrates his righteousness 
and gives righteousness to us. That's good. Because all of my righteousness, all of yours, apart from Christ, is nothing but what? Filthy rags. Keep going. He has done it through Christ, the righteous one who died for the unrighteous. And he does it by faith when we put our trust in him and cry to him for mercy, end quote. We we talked some Friday night, and and I know some of you that have read uh, some of Martin Luther, some have watched the, the old film. You folks were talking about that, watching the old black and white, and I know they have more talking about Uh, verse 17 being Martin Luther's solid ground. Verse 17 in Romans 1 began that first reformation. And, And I talked about, I want to read this. I alluded to this some Friday night, and, and I'm taking this from from a James uh, Boyce commentary on Romans. And you can read of uh, Luther's words and of his writings. And this particular uh, event was uh, written and penned by Luther's son, uh, Dr. Paul Luther, as he recalls what his father had shared with him. And, and so, so this famous incident uh, was, was told years later, and, and it's said that it's preserved in a manuscript uh, in the library in Rudenstadt uh, in the Church of St. John Lateran in Rome. And it is at this church that there is a, a set of medieval stone stairs. Here I'm quoting now. A set of medieval stone stairs said to have originally been the stairs leading up to Pilate's house in Jerusalem, once trod upon by the Lord. For this reason, they are called the Scala Sancta, or Holy Stairs. It was the custom for pilgrims like Luther. Now, I remember Luther became an Augustinian monk. They were taught to do penances. They were taught to earn your way to heaven through doing penance. And so he was trying to work his way to heaven by doing all these things, all these different things that the, the, the monks would tell him to do. And this is one of those things. It was the custom for pilgrims like Luther to ascend these stairs on their knees, praying as they went, At certain intervals, there were stains said to have been caused by the bleeding wounds of Christ. The worshiper would bend over and kiss these steps, praying a long time before ascending painfully to the next ones. Remission of years of punishment in purgatory was promised to all who would perform this pious exercise. So so do you understand the the falsehood and error that that he was under in that monastery. By doing these penances. But but they didn't know that that Luther had gotten a hold of a Bible. It said he could be seen at a table 
with a Bible that had a piece of chain left on it because they chained the Bible to the to the pulpit or whatever what they called it. It was only for the priest that would stand back there to read it. No one else was supposed to read it, but he was reading. And you know the verse that kept coming to him. Verse 17 in Romans, the just shall live by faith. Luther began as the others had, but as he ascended the staircase, the words of our text came forcibly to his mind, the just shall live by faith. Picture what he's doing. Doing his penance on his knees, these stone stairs, and stopping and doing what he's been told. Saying a prayer, hoping, 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 that by doing this, that years of purgatory will be wiped away. But the Lord is speaking. The just shall live by faith. They seem to echo over and over again, growing louder with each repetition. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. But Luther was not living by faith. He was living by fear. The old superstitious doctrines and the new biblical theology wrestled within him. By fear, said Luther. By faith, said the Apostle Paul. By fear, said the scholastic fathers of medieval Catholicism. By faith, said the Scriptures. By fear, said those who agonized beside him on the staircase. By faith, said God. The Father. At last Luther rose in amazement from the steps up which he had been dragging himself and shuddered at his superstition and folly. Was there a change that took place on those stairs? Yes. He said, and this is the story that he told his son. At last Luther rose in amazement from the steps up which he had been dragging himself and shuddered at his superstition and folly. Now he realized that God had saved him by the righteousness of Christ, received by faith. He was to exercise that faith, receive that righteousness, and live by trusting God. He had not been doing it. Slowly he turned on Pilate's staircase and returned to the bottom. He went back to Wittenberg, and in time, as Paul Luther said, he took the just shall live by faith as the foundation of all his doctrine. And this was the real beginning of the Reformation. The Reformation of Luther necessarily preceded the Reformation of Christendom. The later began on October 31, 1517 with the posting of his 95 Theses the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. That's the scene that most people remember. He wouldn't recant. How could he? How could he? And how could we? How could we deny the Lord? How could we ever be ashamed of Him? Let me read another quote. You may be saying, man, you're quoting a lot of other people. Don't you have anything to say? I am so thankful for men of God that the Lord through the ages has raised up 
that I can read yet today. And, and I cannot of my own say it any better than the Lord inspired these guys to write. And, and so I hope you, you just bear with me as I, as I read. <clears throat> and, and this just happens to be Piper again. You, you know, I like reading Piper, MacArthur, Begg. That's that's the guys I look to the most and, and read and others as well. But Piper says, quote, The answer to verse 17 is this. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes because in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now here is the puzzle. How can this be good news when the righteousness of God is our problem? And he's talking to the lost here. How, how can that be good news when the righteousness of God is our problem? The fact that God is righteous and I am unrighteous is the problem. That everybody's, that's everybody's problem, isn't it? His wrath is being revealed against the unrighteousness of men. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Martin Luther said he hated Romans 1.17 before he figured this out. He wrote, and this is a quote actually from Luther, I had been captivated with an extraordinary adder or zeal for understanding Paul in the epistle to the Romans. But a single word in chapter 1, verse 17, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, stood in my way. For I hated that word, righteousness of God, which I had been taught to understand is the righteousness with which God punishes the unrighteous sinner. So how is this good news? That the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Here's the answer. God demands righteousness which we don't have. So the only hope for us is that God Himself would give the righteousness that He demands. That's great. That's that's as good an explanation, I believe, as you can have. Here's the answer. God demands righteousness and we don't have it. So the only hope for us is that God Himself would give the righteousness that He demands. That would be good news. And that is the gospel. That is what He does. What is revealed in the gospel is the righteousness of God for us that He demands from us. The reason the gospel is the power of God for salvation, the way that the gospel saves believers, is that in it God reveals a righteousness for us that God demands from us. What we have to have but could not create or supply or perform, God gives us freely, namely His own righteousness, the righteousness of God. The only hope for us is that God Himself would give the righteousness He demands. This is how the gospel saves us from the wrath of God. End quote. That's great. That's put very well. God demands from us that which we could not provide for ourselves, so He gives us that which He demands from us. Saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. 
For all who believe, we are given a righteousness that is not of our own, a righteousness that is not of our own doing. That's the only way that we can attain to the Father, to righteousness, is to be given what we did not have. Uh, Paul, here, Titus, let's go to Titus. Titus, the third chapter, verses 4 through 7. You know, again, God demanded righteousness. We did not have it. We could not obtain it. Titus 3, 4 through 7, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now let's go to Philippians, the third chapter. I'm going to read what I read earlier when we sang that song, Knowing You, Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. For indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from the righteousness which is from God by faith. That that explains it, doesn't it? That's how we receive this righteousness. Paul talks about it. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. And, And again, the law can justify no one. No one. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And Paul will talk about it more in Romans 10. Let's go to Romans 10. First four verses. Romans 10, first four verses. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. See, let me pause there. They're, They're still trying to follow after the law, aren't they? But the law can justify no one. The law can save no one. Verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Over and over and over again in the Word, doesn't it keep coming back to this? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. No one can keep the law perfectly except Jesus Christ Himself. Christ is the end of the law. Did Christ come to destroy the law? No, no. 
Does the law still have a purpose? Yes. I believe Dusty talked about it. We've talked about it quite a lot. What is the law for us now? That if we could take the Ten Commandments, that they are the tutor that will reveal our sin. Paul said, how would I know sin? Unless the law had told me, thou shalt not covet. How would I know sin? The, the law still has a purpose in revealing sin, but it cannot save from sin. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Uh, Let's read a portion from Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Well, that's not good news for people that are trying to live according to the law, thinking that's going to get them to heaven. For it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law and do them. Let me pause there again. Because they can't. There's no way that anyone could keep all the law. There is no way. Oh no, I've got no sin. If you say you have no sin. Oh, no. Verse 11 but that no one is justified by the law and the sight of God is evident. See, no one, no one, no one is justified by the law and the sight of the Lord is evident for the just shall live by faith. Does that keep coming up and up and up? Yes. Faith. Verse 12, Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, does does that verse bring everything that we talked about earlier when it talked about the Jew first? Does that bring that into a little bit more light, even as we say that? Curses it, Jesus Christ placed on the tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The just shall live by faith. That Romans 1 verse 17, for in it, in the gospel, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we know that that's a quote that was brought up Friday night from Habakkuk. And Paul quotes it in Galatians and in Romans, but let's read it from Habakkuk, uh, verses 2, verse 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. You see, Habakkuk had questioned God in regard to God using the Babylonians to punish Israel. How could God use the wicked to judge or punish Israel? And Habakkuk got his answer. The proud Babylonians would in time fall, but the righteous Israelite was to live by faith. And then what does Paul mean when he says from faith to faith? We're going to end with this thought. And and here's my current understanding of what this means. 
from faith to faith. The believer begins in faith. Amen? Uh, For by grace we are saved through faith. We all begin with faith. That's where we begin. And then uh, in this life that we walk here on this earth, we're to walk by faith. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith in the promises of God. Walk by faith according to, to the gospel of Christ, according to God's holy word. We walk by faith, not by sight. So may we walk, may we live, trusting the word of God and being obedient to his will. We begin in faith. While we're yet on this earth, we walk by faith. And someday, as, as you know, a verse in an old hymn I love, it as well says, our faith will become sight. Uh, verse 4 of It Is Well. O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well. With my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. And how can we say it is well with our soul? Because It is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. From faith to faith, beginning in faith, living and walking by faith, and one day standing in His presence, our faith becoming sight. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we give You thanks for Your Word and just thanks for reminders that we can keep coming back to, that can, can help be our firm foundation, to help give us truths that we could keep coming back to over and over and over again. So thank you, Father, for your mighty power that has provided a way back to you, to you. And that way is through Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. The way, the truth, and the life. So Father, we give you thanks. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us all, every believer that's here, or that's listening to this. Lord, help us that we may live by faith. Lord, help us to walk every day trusting you, trusting you, trusting you. And to have the the outlaw, outlook as, as the Apostle Paul. 
that we could be content regardless of what may come our way because we have our eyes fixed on something more of what awaits us in your presence. So, Father, help us to learn more of you. Help us to be rooted more and more in your word. And help us to be bold. Help us to never be ashamed. Help us that we would not for one second deny Christ. And Lord, should there be someone who would be listening to this sermon or has listened to it and they are yet far from you, I pray, Father, that you would have mercy. I pray, Father, that you would perform a miracle that only you can perform and and that is to raise them from their spiritual deadness. That you would open their eyes, open their mind, reveal to them Christ and Him crucified. Lord, reveal to them their sin, their separation from You. Oh, let, let, let fear overwhelm them. And then, Lord, show them the rescue in Jesus Christ that You have provided a way. And it is by faith. So, Father, Grant faith that they might believe. Help them that they would trust you, that they would receive Christ, that they would confess their sins and and turn from their, their wicked ways, Lord, and turn and follow Christ. Lord, help us all that we might follow Christ as we should. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.